Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rocher, the chef in the hat. Chef, you got a mouthful of something going on already. We just bl- started the show. Blood Orange. You Blood know what? Orange. I'm very, um, I'm, I very much like that show because I'm guaranteed to eat and drink something. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's why you come for that's breakfast. Why, that's why I stay. <laughs> uh, we are the Hot Stove Society Show. We're here in downtown Seattle at the beautiful Hotel Andra on the second floor. If you've never been to the Hot Stove Society, you're missing out. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a good, fun time. We have an audience here today that's really into it so far. High excitement. High excitement. I don't think they've tested uh, the coffee yet. I know. Today on the show, we're going to talk about brunch ideas for a crowd. And one of the things about doing any sort of meal for a crowd is figuring out what you can do in advance, right? And Plan what you, ahead. And then, and then maybe just reheat or retherm or right. whatever your term of endearment is. Our, our tasting panel is going to compare orange varieties, which is what the chef has in his mouth right now. You've got how many down so far? One. Blood orange. And I tasted a little bit of the, the Buddha's hand. The Buddha's hand. Pamela, our producer, is going to run that segment and... You know, this is a time to enjoy citrus this time of year. Absolutely. I feel like, yes. Absolutely. The market is brimming. Yes. Uh, our tasting uh, panel is going to do that. Then our uh, guest, Greg Dunmore from the Japanese Pantry and Eliza Ward from Chef Shop. She comes on once in a while. I think last time she was here, she had Victor Hazan in town. Yeah, that's right. With the new book that he... She hangs with some cool people. Exactly. I hope Victor's... He was... He's getting up there, that Victor. Yeah. Uh, eat more spinach. Last night I made creamed spinach for the first time in 25 years. Did have nutmeg? 25 years. How did it go? No nutmeg. You're going to tell us later, okay. I'll tell you later. Creamed spinach. When was the last time you made creamed spinach? Uh, never. Never? I, mean, <laughs> I probably made... It's uh, kind of no, French. I, I probably made a spinach cream of, like, soup. Yeah. Where you blend the whole thing up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm all into puree everything, uh. as you always say. But uh, puree the whole thing at the end and have a... We'll talk about that in the next segment. And apparently Popeye is the one who endears our country to spinach. For reals. Gets all the credit. Yeah, yeah. for reals. So As he should. I mean, he's, the man is muscly. I know. Exactly. Saved his life many times. Then we're going to have at the end of the show, at the end of our fabulous two hours, a little bitty, a little ditty on the Rub With Love Food for Thought Tasty Trivia. Oh, boy. Let's talk Taste of the Week, Chef. Why not? My test of the week will be, uh, I went to uh, Bellevue to eat at uh, Bobby Moore's new restaurant. Uh-huh. He took over, it's, not, it's a new restaurant because it is now, and he redid it. But he, um, Bobby was a chef before at... Um, the Barking Frog. The Barking Frog, and he now has his own place. Uh, he bought Bis on Main, mm-hmm. very uh, oh. long institution on Main Street in downtown Bellevue. And um, he also... Purchased just a couple doors down another space. I can't remember what the space was before, but um, a bar, bar lounge. So he has both of these items going. Um, the bar lounge looks really cute. I didn't eat in the bar lounge or drink. I just went and see it. And um, so at dinner at Bissan Main, it was delicious. And, um, you know, he opened up the place. It doesn't have curtain on the street anymore. It's wide open. It's a nice little change. And Bobby, of course, is very excited because... You know, he opened in October, so it's a brand new restaurant. Um, the crew was nice, service was, del- was very nice. The, the whole thing was really delicious. I had a duck um, for entree that was really scrumptious. Um, the whole meal was, I just wanted to give him a, a plug yeah, and a, sure. and a uh, welcome into this ownership uh, role, because that's a different role, as you and I know. Um, so 
you know, wishing you know, He's good surrounded luck. by some pretty fancy neighborhoods around he's there. He's got in some Medina very fancy neighborhoods. And he also yeah. has a clientele that has been there for a long time. Yeah. So kind of like, you know how we talk about canless institution and things like this. And, you know, they don't want Caesar salad to change or go anywhere. He's like, uh, you know, let's move on. Yeah, don't mess with the canless salad. Oh, don't mess with those institutions. So, he's, you know, he's going through those emotions, but yeah. he's really enjoying it. And he's a super nice guy. So, be yeah, on me. Good for him. I'm glad he's doing well. Yeah. Uh, my taste of the week is um, I made dinner from one of my cookbooks last night. Uh, so, you actually, that, that you, you actually are the only person I know who does that. I understand. It seems, it seems <laughs> oh, funny. But, uh, my oh, sec- it seems. My second book, uh, there's, one of the chapters is an ode to Peter Cipra oh, yeah. and Susan uh, Cipra, who used to uh, own and run the La Boosnik restaurant in, right there at First and Le Virginia. Buznik. La Boos. Hey, I say it the way, I'd say it in Czech. What it's do you not know? La, it's not like it's Le. Le. No, Le sorry, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm teasing it's, you. It's just La Boosnik. Yeah. It's part of the name. It's not <laughs> like understand. L-E, capital B-U-S. Correct. Yeah. Uh, Jackie printed off some of the menus from when we were going there, and... <laughs> It was a lot cheaper back then. <laughs> you know, we're going to have our 40th anniversary, and we dated there. That's where we went wow. on all, most of our dates. And so Pam remembers. She was, that was our favorite from walking favorite. up the hill from the, on the Virginia Hill from Can the I market. Can I remind you of something else? You also were not as rich. I have when been rich. When people talking like this, I, I tell you. know, rich is, uh, rich is a funny thing. It's not always about money, right? Correct. I have been rich in terrific friends, and uh, I've been Correct. rich in jobs. and Everything. Yeah, everything. So... I feel rich when I get a full gas tank or when I eat as many pieces of bacon as I want. That's when I oh, know Oh, there's I'm more rich. than you need, <laughs> which is almost every day. <laughs> so I made the menu. Uh, Jackie and I made the menu directly from the book. All the little Labusnik favorites, cream spinach, sugared carrots, mm. uh, caraway sauerkraut, uh, roast pork. Wow. Uh, chocolate mousse with Grand Marnier. Wow. I mean, this, I felt like I just stepped right back into the 80s. The one thing I will say, and I know this is a controversial subject, so I'm, I'm hesitant to bring it up, but... But you're going to bring it up anyway. Right, because we got hate mail. I got hate mail about this. It's all right. The gravy god showed up last night. Oh, did you wear the, the necklace? I wore my necklace, and uh, the gravy god showed up for dinner last night. And my gravy, my sweet onion gravy, uh, with you know all the pork juices and all yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And here's the other thing I'll say about it. You can't use too much bay. Remember, we were always taught only one bay leaf or blah, blah, blah. You can't use too much bay. Well, it's you, delicious. It depends. Uh, we could argue that a little bit. but No, we can't. Because <laughs> we have to go to commercial. <laughs> uh, so that's what I'm going to tell you about that. Uh, up next, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, uh, big brunch party food that you can make with ease and then serve with ease. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. here in the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo. Uh, Tom Douglas and the chef in the chapeau is here today. Yes, Mr. Douglas. Are you a bruncher? 
No. Brunch is a sport, don't you think? I, People. I'm, yes, I'm not very much of a brunch. I'm definitely not the guy who's going to wait outside 30 minutes with a cold cup of coffee in the rain for some mediocre breakfast inside for brunch. I'm, I'm much more of a hater than a, than a lover on that one. I would not wow, be. Wow, that's I would just not so negative, that. chef. But I like a good elongated lunch brunch on a Sunday or whatever, whatever day of the week. Well planned and organized. Yeah, no, I'm totally for that. You know how you can avoid the lines? Uh, you could make a reservation. No. Well, that's, I guess that's but one way. But most of them don't take reservations. You could cook at home. That's what, exactly. Exactly. And that's what I do. Exactly. Even though eggs are 50 cents a piece now, I don't know if you've seen, they're 55 or 60 cents a piece now. You know, it used to be when you were cooking and uh, trying to get ready for the fry station as a young cook, you'd practice with eggs. No more. No more. No, no more. They're too expensive. Uh, it makes my flock of 20 chickens that much more valuable over at the farm. So, yeah. Okay, hosting a brunch party. Pamela, uh, you put this in here. Are you planning on hosting us for brunch at some point soon? Absolutely not. Oh, I, I was so looking forward <laughs> it's, it's, to it. It's, you don't even eat breakfast. I know. It's a meal that I, I, I don't understand, but it is a really popular phenomena Absolutely. and it dominates in the food news so i said i have to understand what people are eating and and what the big attraction is and i got a good giggle because the first recipe i came across was waffles made out of tater tots oh, oh that is a giggle man that was why a, they let them defrost and then smash them together in the waffle iron uh-huh. yeah no and sure coat it with smoked salmon sour cream and caviar so oh, that's a good, that. Now you're interested. <laughs> that's a good way to waste now time. Now yeah. you're interested, aren't you, just Chef? Kidding, I'm yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about that. You know, let's start with eggs Benedict. That's the most popular breakfast item down at Lola, and it's delicious. I will say, when I'm out and about, I rarely order it because it's almost always Not a as packaged Nor Swiss uh, uh, hollandaise mix. Yeah, that's one thing I don't really order. But, I mean, at Lola, I've had it. With yeah, you, yeah. it was really delicious because it's made on it's the spot. Real, yeah, it's real, and yeah. And Hollandaise is real. And, yeah. But you're right. In many places, especially the places that do a lot of it, they most often buy it already made, and you can taste it. So let's help people make a, a, an Eggs Benedict at home so that the Hollandaise can last for a bit, right? You're French. You should know about this. So buy good English muffin to start with. Don't right. buy the... Dahlia Bakery's got delicious exactly. ones. Exactly. Homemade or, or something really delicious like this. Take your time to look for it and buy good muffin. And toast them well. They oh, should yeah. be brown and crisp. Absolutely. Right? Because that's, <laughs> once you put the poached egg on top, it kind of waters things out. You don't have to worry about it being too hard. Right. And the crispiness and dryness is only on the outside. On the inside, it's still moist. Mm-hmm. And when you break your egg and your hollandaise goes through that, you're going to have the most beautiful piece of bread. Right. It's going to have a little crunchy... And it's going to have give inside, which is what you're looking for. So now you can also, if you're doing brunch for, say, 12 people, you can also poach your eggs, eggs ahead of time, which I don't think people realize they can do. Right. How do you n- normally do that? You, you just poach your eggs. Simmering water. Very low, low simmer. And then you stop them before they're ready all the way. And then you put them in the cold ice water. That's how we do it. And then from so, that... So what, why, why do that in advance, right? Because... Well, because if you're doing... Let's say you have 10 people coming to your house. It's brunch. Most people at home are not expert at poaching eggs, especially 10 of them. It would take you probably a good... Well, if it takes... It could take a half hour. Yeah, it would take you at least a half hour, yeah. yeah. And to do that, and you're going to be wasting all your time cooking where everybody else is having an egg Benedict plus, <laughs> they're not going to be all ready at once. So they're going to have it to have one at a time which is kind of a, you know, not so great. But if you want to have everybody sitting down at the same time, that those eggs are in cool, cool water right now. 
you take them out, you put them in warm water all at once, and they're already at once. Right, it's, and what's the key there, right? You put them in the warm water, but they're already set. It's not like they're going to break at this point. Right, they're not going to break, and they're cooked already, almost ready. <clears throat> so they only need to be in there for a minute. And then you take them out, and you have all your plate lined up on your counter, you know, with all your, your muffin and uh, some people had salted spinach. Little ham kind of or spinach, spinach. Ham and spinach. And then you put your egg poached egg on there, and you have your homemade hollandaise. Focus on the hollandaise. That's very important. So go back to that. How do people keep their hollandaise from breaking? Because you have to make that in advance, too. So the, the way to stop your hollandaise from breaking, the secret, or not the secret, the thing you should know is keep your hollandaise, your butter, when you're making your hollandaise, needs to be at a certain temperature. If it goes too cold, when it warms up, it's going to separate. You want to try to avoid having your hollandaise go too cold. You don't want your hollandaise to go cold when you're making it, even though you're whisking and all that. So advice on that is to use it the whole time on a water boil, on a water bath bath that is warm. So nothing cools off. If you keep everything at the same temperature, the longevity of your hollandaise standing above your stove, not on a burner, but just on your stove, will stay much longer. And then put a piece of plastic on top so it stays, the whole thing stays covered the whole time. It if does help to give it a whisk every once in a while, I yeah, think, yeah. yeah you, I mean, you can or you don't have to, but th- what's very important is that you don't let the temperature, it's an emulsion. An emulsion means things are going to bind together. The reason they bind is because there's a certain amount of temperature that's involved and binding agent. If you let that cool off, it will become solid, but then when you warm it up, it will separate. So, Pam, uh, so now we've got eggs, Benedict. Now we want some complimentary dishes to go with that, right? You don't want to just eat everything heavy, or do you? Oh, uh, no, you've got to get in a good, zesty, crispy I, I, salad. So we've got tater tot waffle <laughs> with caviar and smoked salmon. We've got egg ben- eggs, Benedict, with ham and spinach. What's another side Two dish? Two French things you need to have. Okay. You need to make a quiche. You make a quiche. Benedict make- and quiche? Yeah, for a brunch party. You're you're only having one egg. You're not having two eggs, Benedict. Okay, Tom, 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 Oh, I don't know about this. You can even cut your muffin in half if you want. Just make it. When do we get pastry? Uh, Hold on. First, the pastries are first normally. In my house, you eat the pastries first. Oh, before you're savory. Because pastry is like breakfast, you know. And when I say pastry, I mean pastry like croissant, things like this. Cinnamon rolls. Cinnamon rolls. Scones. And small, small, not the whole thing. Ooh, I don't know. Just small because you're going to have many different things. The the name of the game is to try everything, not to eat everything. We understand each other on that. Mm -hmm. So quiche is a great other item to have for brunch because you can make a big pan of it, you know, in a Pyrex pan or whatever, and then you can have it cooled off in your refrigerator, take it out the day of, Slice it the way you want to slice it in small cube or square or whatever. And then warm it up in the oven, put it on the platter, and then you have a beautiful little quiches piece ready to go. And you can do crab quiche, you can do all many different kind of quiche, vegetarian quiche, mushroom, super delicious. And then you do the, uh, the crepes. Crepes are very cool items to go onto the uh, dessert pile. So my, our producer, Pamela, put in a recipe for lemony crepe casserole. What's a casserole? What do you mean? So laying them all out together in a, like a 9 by 13 pan uh-huh. with the sauce over it. So you could cut it in wedges if you wanted to assemble it all ahead of time. Oh. Instead of in, yeah, yeah, individual that's the key to any crepes. brunch. The big yeah. brunch is right. assembly ahead of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, crepes are great because if you do it, for example, in a 6-inch in a round saute pan, you can cut them in half moon 
and then roll them or fold them. Yes. So they're, they're like little envelopes, you know, like this big. And that's plenty for one person to eat two of those. And the crunchy celery apple salad. Celery apple mm. salad. I was going to say a fruit, some sort of fruit. I, I often do cut fruit with honey and yogurt or poppy seeds. Yeah, and I, w- I, would, I would even say celery root because oh, this time yeah, of year. Shred it. This time In our of fruit year. salad? No, the, the celery root salad. Oh. A celery root salad because it's, it's a very sturdy vegetable that's delicious raw and beautiful flavor. So you do a nice little of that with pomegranate seeds and, you know, just a bunch of, and citrus if you want, like grapefruit. Maybe some walnuts. The good news mm. about all these ideas for these big brunches is none of you have put beets on the menu, and I'm very happy, <laughs> very happy about that. We've saved that from the beets. That's exactly. coming in the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> no, the next segment is, is uh, actually a tasting panel. You know, we've done them on, we've done tasting panels on mayonnaise, canned chili, mustard, salt, all sorts of things. Today we're going to do a tasting panel on oranges and all the different ones that are available right now from cara caras to blood oranges it's still interesting to me how many people freak out about the term blood oranges they don't quite get it we're happy we're happy we're happy to diffuse that on cairo radio it's the hot stove society show 97.3 fm that's brunch on sundays bring the hookah to the table she gonna smoke until her lungs ache that's brunch on sundays Post the pictures on the gram, hashtag and Sunday fun day. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. Tom Douglas and Terry wrote to Row. In the house. In the house. We're having a little tasting panel session here at the Hot Stove, which uh, we like to bring our expertise uh, along with the audience's expertise into the mix here. And, and Pam, tell us why you went for oranges for the tasting panel today instead of, say, um, canned beans, <laughs> <laughs> cold canned beans. Well, the stores are brimming with beautiful citrus displays right now. And um, I shopped today at PCC, but the day before I had also been at Wajamaya. And I recommend a trip right now because they've got some truly exotic varieties that I have not seen in oranges before. But um, because of the variety, that's what got my interest up. And then I started reading, and um, it was a revelation that the orange is the result of hybridization uh, between grapefruits and mandarins. Mm -hmm. So this whole gigantic category has been created Uh genetically, and it it was not ever known to have existed in the wild. Unlike apples, where Adam Adam and Eve ate an apple, right? Right. (laughs) They didn't say say grab an orange. (laughs) They probably didn't exist yet. So So um, what do we have in front of us then? We're starting um, with a new variety that PCC was featuring, the Lulu, which okay. Terry's very excited about. Yeah. And we've got an extra palette with us, Jamie Hunt of Fast Penny Spirits. That makes that beautiful Americano, uh, which you all better get out and buy because we love it. And it's winter and tastes spectacular. Uh, so let's start with the Lulu. I think it has an incredible yeah. burst of flavor. It was, it was uh, definitely a surprise. I've never had this orange before, and I really like it. I think it's a good orange. It's got good acidity, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Which is a key, right? You yeah. can't just have sugar. You have to have an acid balance. Yeah. So, Jamie, what did you think of that Lulu? I agree. That Lulu is delicious. And yeah. it bursts with flavor and the balance of the sugar and the acid is really nice. Yeah, I yeah. totally agree. Everything about that one is just perfect. And the, then we're moving on to the Cara Cara. And I agree. Which has kind of been the hottest orange going lately. Hottest orange. Yeah. But you and I have both experienced disappointment it's this season. It's a bad year. This is definitely a terrible one. This is not a good one. This is the third time I've had a bad Cara Cara this year just because... You know, they caught on so quickly, the name, the little pink color, everything was very hot about them. But The yeah. segments in it are very, I, I love how well, they're, they're differentiated, yeah. but then there's no flavor once yeah. you bite yeah. into it. It's a little no, bit drier. No bones, yeah. yeah, it's dry, it's no bone to it, it's missing, it's missing many things. Yeah. Sorry, Kara Kara. And then the Valencia is the one that we all recognize probably from orange juice the most. It's kind of that most typical American kind mm-hmm. of orange juice. It's okay. I mean, if I had to make juice, I certainly wouldn't be my first pick. Right. No, no. it's a little watery. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's uh, missing a little. So, you know how you get watery, right? If they go sometimes for the big oranges, they just overwater uh-huh. the trees, basically. So you're getting a big orange full of water rather than the intense fruit. Right. We can pass on that one. The blood orange is next, and we got one with some pretty stunning colors. But yeah. they do almost have a, a meaty characteristic, or is that just my it's brain? It's in your head, I It's think, in my honestly. head, right? Yeah, I find no, I them think... to be typically a bit acidic, and that's what I love about them. Yeah, me too. I think it's a good cooking orange. Um, I love cooking savory with blood orange because mm-hmm. it has that personality, and it holds very well when you cook with it, so... That's it makes mar- a beautiful mimosa. It makes great juice yeah. because when you get that juice, you have lots of acid, and very low sugar. So it's a yeah, g- low sugar that <laughs> that makes it more appropriate for savory. Right, and, and mixing with champagne. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yes, please. Or, or some sparkling. I'm, I'm with you on that. Or some sparkling. <laughs> um, it's good because it's not too sweet. I also love it in salads. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, in salads. With fennel and yeah. olives. And since yes. we eat with our eyes, it's often just a beautiful accent of yeah. right. a lot of things. They yeah. do also very well dry. Now, when you're picking a blood orange at the grocery store, uh, like all citrus, you want to make sure that this, uh, they have a little bit of give to them. Those hard outside just means big, thick uh, crust and often not as juicy. So limes, lemons, oranges, grapefruits, you want them to feel heavy for their size and have a little give in, in the when you press on them. Yeah, Almost like a ripe avocado has a little give. Right. S- I know. Same idea. I also think like places like PCC should bring back the old, cut the fruit in half in front of every stand of every fruit so you can have at least a look inside because I'm pretty sure if I saw that caracara... I, I just would... take a bite out of it and put it right back. <laughs> <laughs> I think most produce guys will do that for you. I know at Ballard Market, they're always willing to Oh, no, no, take when, a knife when they're there, but they're not, yeah. no, they're not always there. The next one was a surprise to me. The navel. It tastes, it tastes very navel. orangey and good, I thought. Yeah. yeah, navel was good. It gets a bad rap, like kind of like red delicious apples get a bad rap. No, it's actually a good orange. I yeah. think navel, overall, navel has been very consistent over the year. And so the idea behind navels was they were supposed to be seedless, right? So, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the navel as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think. And they, um, it, this category is very <laughs> popular because now they've got uh, organic and heirloom. Uh, so some... I know. I, I, so they add another it's dollar like an antique, or pound. Right? It's not allowed to be called an antique unless it's 25 years old. So maybe this variety was made 25 years, five years ago. ago. <laughs> All right. Next is a... We're moving out of the, the orange 
category and into a, a tangerine. The sum, you know, sumos are the rage right now. I'll tell you, it was my favorite taste on yeah, the plate. It was, it was, it was yeah. definitely the most appealing mouthfeel and flavor aftertaste. Mm-hmm. That was my, my most favorite, too. It was definitely, it's got a gorgeous personality. I, I would agree. It, it lingers on the palate in a nice way. Yeah. 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 It gives you a nice, it, it gives you, for me, give me a nice aftertaste flavor. Mm-hmm. When you're making your Amaros, uh, are, are you using things like orange peel? And I am, yeah. yeah. I use a sweet orange peel and uh-huh. then a bitter orange peel oh, to nice. kind of balance out. Cool. That's a big, the big differentiation that I was just learning about, the sweet and the bitter categories mm-hmm. of oranges. Yeah. So you you need both yes. for the end style you're looking for. Exactly. Nice. But you don't use, you don't use as much the juice. You use more like the peel just, and the white. The the just the peel. Yeah, they're yeah. dried, um, yeah. and we put it in into the mix. All right. The next one you have is uh, actual grapefruit. The the mother the, the, the mother, motherland. The motherland. Uh, this was a shaddock pomelo, uh-huh. and it had the most wonderful teardrop shape. Uh, not like the gigantic ones that you see, round ones you see right. in the store. Um, it's delicious. I love the bite. I haven't yeah. tasted it. It's a real it. firm bite to it, but it's still juicy. Mm. I tell so you. The cell structure is just holding in all that lovely juice. For me, I'm a big fan of pink grapefruit. I love a good, ripe pink grapefruit. So it's a, right up my alley. Pomelo is definitely in the same section for me. So when you get color like the pink or like the red of the blood orange, is it like an apple skin where, like on a, a red delicious, you can taste the tannin, you know, or you can yeah. feel the tannin in your mouth? There is a is big difference. Is that the same kind of distinction there, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, there is a difference between a, a yellow-white uh, mm-hmm. grapefruit and a pink grapefruit, a good, ripe pink grapefruit. To me, is a little bit more sweeter. Um, I, I really enjoy it with a crab salad. That's always my first to go if I see a beautiful cream pink grapefruit, I'm like, let's buy some Dungeness crab meat mm. and mix the two together, maybe a little celery root and just a nice little creme fraiche, a lot of creme mm. fraiche in there. Makes a great salad. Mm. Delicious. Yeah, it's nice and light. And we're going to finish with the Buddha hand. You see him all in, in the market now looking so exotic. Yeah. And Chef Annie tells me, I thought you all couldn't eat it raw. Uh, but that it's well, I guess most... we're gonna die now. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I was wrong because it's really delightful and has yeah. a, a completely different texture, um, but still has that citrusy, riny character. Yeah. So I want this in some thin strips on a piece. I was gonna of... say delightful isn't what, how I would have described it. Mm. It's um, it, to me, it's like eating a little bit of the. You know how you got a big piece of pith or something on a outside of a grapefruit it's a little bit pithy to me i would agree with that but i think you could probably peel it a little bit and uh, shred it into a salad and it would be delicious i mean Mm. i think it would be adding a little accent yeah i don't know if i would eat it whole but it has some nice flavor Mm -hmm. i get a little petroleum in the beginning uh, which is kind of fun um and it's definitely a little more. It's always nice to start with the petroleum because from there on, everything <laughs> tastes better. better. Yes. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All right, what a, what a fun taste, audience. What did you guys think? What was your favorite? Pomelo. Pomelo got some. Pomelo. Lulu. 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 Tangerine. Tangerine. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so it's pretty much in the same as us. It's in the same spectrum of. That's basically the summarization of it: the, the Lulu, the Pomelo, and uh, you know. Yeah. Nice. Tangerine. The tangerine, yeah. Buy it. Yeah. Get adventurous when you go to the supermarket this weekend. 
All right, from uh, citrus tasting to something that tastes super delicious with a big squeeze of citrus on top. Spinach up next on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Orange. 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 Spinach has vitamins A, B, and D. But spinach never appealed to me. But one day while having dinner with a guy, I decided to give it a try. I didn't like it the first time. It was so new to me. All right, here we are back in the hot stove kitchen. I'm feeling very strong. Very strong. Woohoo! Uh, Chef, do you want to give our listeners a, a a musical clue of the who made spinach most popular in the United States? Do you know the rest, Chef? Yes. There you go. That's Mr. Popeye's theme song. And Pamela, I'm going to have you uh, tell us uh, why Popeye was so important to spinach consumption here in the United States. Matter of fact, it more than, uh, well, it says... Don't give it away. Okay, you, you tell the story. There are many unsubstantiated stories of why during the depths of the Great Depression, cartoonist E.C. Seeger chose the vegetable spinach to give his comic strip character Popeye the Sailor superhuman powers. Woo-hoo. Quite likely, it was his attempt to prompt children of all ages to eat more of this nutrient powerhouse. During that era, the diet of the average American was lacking in essential vitamins and minerals, and the nutritional well-being, especially of children, was of great concern. Mm -hmm. So it worked, and sales of spinach tripled, and kids started calling it their third favorite vegetables. Yeah, and that trend of going on TV to promote a food item has not changed. I mean, look at Doritos. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, but I, so that was just a little piece that I, I encountered in thinking about spinach. But I think it's so important in the winter uh-huh. yeah. because, you know, it's a cool weather crop. If, in Seattle, we can practically grow it. It's pretty much all year round. I mean, I've all had spinach in my garden. Yeah. Just like sorrel. It's, it's normally I, in most places in the world, it doesn't stay all summer. Well, with the summer we have here, it pretty much stays all year round. I always think of it as a spring and fall leafy herb, but you're saying that in the winter, after it dies back, like when it gets frozen, it'll come right back up? Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. I've never you tried know, the it. spinach, yeah. the chives, the chard, all those greens, you know, they, they're kale. I mean, they pretty much stay all year round here. We don't, you know, of course, when it gets 20 degrees, you know, like you said, it definitely takes a hit, but it comes right back. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely sturdy and and it's just something that gives you that bright burst of color all, all through the winter. So right. I, just, like, I probably eat it four times a week because I just yeah. love it. I and love I- a quick saute. So real hot pan, uh, olive oil. Uh, I put my garlic in for two seconds, three seconds before I put the spinach in. Because if you put the spinach in and put the garlic on top, you often end up with raw garlic. Right. Because the spinach cook so fast right I'm, I'm you have you. to give it just a couple of second head start and then your spinach and finish the saute 
If you're using things like black currants or raisins or some sort of dried fruit, pine nuts, which are very popular, like in a little spinach saute, again, you want to get that kind of stuff yeah. kind of started and then finish with your finish with your fried shallots saute. Yeah, I fry the shallot like Tom. I do, I do it first because, like he said, the spinach is. I mean, spinach in a pan that's hot yeah. is a matter of like five seconds. Five, ten seconds. Yeah, ten That's for a wilted spinach. Correct, correct. If you want it cooked, it's, it's going to be at least 30 seconds. Yeah, but the point is it's much faster than cooking shallots. Mm-hmm. You know, shallots don't cook in five seconds, so neither does garlic. So the same thing is I pre-fried my, my uh, shallots ahead of time, in, you know, before I put the spinach in. Then I put the spinach at the last minute. And a little heat, maybe, at the end, and then you have this wonderful little... You know, and salad. what about the lemon? I think sometimes I've put my lemon in too early. Yeah, you got to get the hot sear first, and then the, hit it with the lemon and get it out of the pan. Yeah. So you don't need to cook the lemon juice. So and, I, and lemon is not the only thing. Vinegar does well with spinach. You know, you could do a finish with a balsamic, or you could finish with a red wine vinegar. That's really delicious one. You could finish with some uh, sake. does really well with spinach. That's a great idea. You could finish. Sounds... I mean, there's many different, you know, liquids that you can add. Lemon is obviously the most common one, but we always use lemon. But if you're wilting your salad, I think the key to all that is you're wilting your salad. You get the quick wilt on it, and then you add your, your dressing and get it. You don't want to cook it at all with right. the juice. Right. Yeah. But if I was to put, for example, pancetta or bacon or something of that nature in my spinach that's already rendered on the side... Add that to the spinach. <coughs> I would certainly go more tannins to go with uh, red wine vinegar, for example, right. of something of that nature. We always called like a, a German potato salad where you added yeah. the, the mustard and the vinegar and gave yeah. it that sweet and sour a bit. Uh, you have on your list of things uh, cream spinach, which I happened to make for the I first know, time in 25 years last night uh, from my cookbook. It was an ode to Labuznik restaurant. Uh, Peter Sipra, the owner there, uh, was one of my favorite chefs in town. Jackie and I dated there 40 years ago when we were first going out. Uh, it was down at First and Virginia. He always had a little side of cream spinach and sugared carrots that you could get. Those were mm. his vegetables. And I made a little, I made it the way he made it with a little bit of roux, a little bit of. Um, roux? He put a roux in his spinach? What? He, put, he made a bechamel. And, uh, oh. But he also cooked the spinach separately. So in a big pot of boiling water, blanch the spinach, pull it out, squeeze it out. I mean, right now, you would say, just go buy frozen spinach, right? Because yeah. uh, it's, it's somewhat similar. But I, I did it five bags of uh, spinach yesterday. Oh. And I pulled it out, blanched it, squeezed it out, chopped it uh, lightly. I don't want it minced. Sure. I hate pureed creamed spinach. Yeah. It's just like... No, yeah. If I want that, I'll go to an Indian restaurant, and they have that spinach with this uh, cheese in it. Oh, yeah, those little leaves. It's yeah. like it's, it's been cooked for a couple hours or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway... It was really good. Uh, it just was a, a blast from the past. So you wait. You finished that blanche. You diced a little bit. Put it into my bechamel. Yeah. Stirred it up. Served it. Bechamel. Oh my God! That would never even come to mind. Yeah. To bechamel. Now Peter was a Czechoslovakian refugee. He actually escaped from Czechoslovakia during right. the Ruf- Russian invasion, right. and uh, so he had all these kind of classic things. And it was fascinating when I was doing the book, kind of work through the recipes, thinking I could just go from my taste memory, which is often how I cook couple of things I just couldn't get. One was the, the Eastern European dumplings. Mm-hmm. I still don't, still don't have them mastered. Uh, and uh, I did get the roast pork, though. Low and slow. I sh- I'm sure you would get that straight. 250 degrees for three hours, four hours. Nice. Uh, pork roast. 
All right, spinach, spinach, spinach. We love it all, and it is... Uh, Eat it as much as you can tolerate it, raw and cooked. And you Just, get that. A lot of people don't tolerate the, the tannic nature of it. Uh, because oxalic it kind of, acid. Oxalic acid. Yeah, it kind of coats your teeth when you're eating it. Yeah, mm-hmm. just remember one thing about spinach. Wash them three times and pick them out of the water. Don't drop the water on top of the spinach. Tell it, uh, Does anyone buy whole... Whole bunches of spinach. Anymore? I do yes. all the time. That's the only way I buy it. No way. How you do don't you buy, buy the bags, it? the clean bags. No. <laughs> I buy spinach by the bunch at PCC. Boy, my back. <laughs> and believe me, and believe me, they are good. I, I don't know what to say about that. Well, you you have more patience than I do for spinach. Up next, uh, visit from Eliza Ward, a owner of Chef Shop, and Greg Dunmore of the Japanese Pantry, with ideas on improving your pantry. And stories and products from the artisanal Japanese producers. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Keep it in your pantry. 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 Welcome back. It's the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. Thank you for joining us. The audience is too busy eating their breakfast. Yeah, they don't, even have, they don't even clap anymore. What is this? What is going on? You have to earn your keep around here. Eliza's uh, a chef shop uh, owner. Uh, it's a wonderful resource for building a well-stocked pantry. And uh, tell us about Chef Shop a little bit. And uh, high end, you know, we, we focus mostly on high-end ingredients. Okay. Um, we also have confections. Obviously, you've been in our shop during Christmas time when it's confection season, but we mostly <laughs> focus on the pantry, high-end pantry shop. I, I bought a bunch of people the uh, Buna Futura Panettone at your shop this year. Or, and not, I bought, I think, one at your shop, but I bought a bunch of, directly from Buna. Uh-huh. Uh, and everyone just went crazy for it. Yeah. And that's not a, even your favorite. You have so many different ones. Yeah, we do. And we do a big Panettone business. Yeah. It's a lot of fun that time of year. But that's over. So Chef Shop is now, I mean, I, I go there for certain things. I love your Orchietti. Uh, you have a beautiful olive oil selection, and it's unlike some fancy stores. You actually have tasting samples out sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. COVID kind of put a little kibosh on that, but it's coming back. Yeah. And you have, uh, I know we're going to talk about some of the Japanese items, but we have yeah. two segments. So I want to talk about things like, um, I'm trying to think of the citrus that you have that I buy there. That Is uh, it the ponzu sauce? No, the, uh, the candied yuzu. citrus. Oh, the candied yuzu peel. Oh, yeah. my God. Yuzu. It's really good in fruitcake and things yeah, like it's that. Tasty. A little butter cookie. Yeah, it's and, tasty. Yeah. So, yeah, we're a high-end pantry store, and today um, Pam asked me to come by and really talk about, like, what you can do fairly simply to upgrade your pantry in order to really give your cooking a lift. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and our philosophy at Chef Shop is really there's two things you can do to improve your pantry relatively easily that make a huge difference. The first thing is to really select for flavor. You know, when we cook, it's really flavor that we're looking for more Mm -hmm. than anything else. And most of our flavor actually comes from our pantry. But I think people don't understand that. I think they think of their pantry ingredients mostly as those taste components, the acid or the salt or the bitter or whatever it is you're adding. But really, if you select for 
flavor, you're going to get a lot more flavor in your cooking overall. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I would recommend people do is select for flavor. It's hard to do because you can't taste a lot of the ingredients that you're buying in the grocery store. That's one of the reasons why the taste component of our shop is so important. Customization is very important. Right. I'm also very selective. You know, I I select for a lot of different things, you know, tradition and providence and purity, but but number one is flavor. So if it doesn't have the flavor, because you want to add that flavor to your cooking, that's what, mm-hmm. that's what your palate is seeking. The second thing um, is really to understand taste. And I know you guys talk about this a lot, the sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and umami. And make sure that the taste components that you are selecting for your pantry are balanced, that can also potentially add flavor. Not all taste components add flavor, but a lot of them do and that's always when if you can get taste and flavor together that's a good thing and of course the japanese are masters at that mm-hmm. with the sweet i mean umami the fifth taste that we talk about they're particularly masterful at that but they're also masterful at balancing all those taste components so that when you add quality ingredients if they know what they're doing and they're high quality because quality and taste and quality and flavor go together um that they add to your cooking and not distract from your cooking or that you're not over salting, for example, or adding too much taste um, in order to seek flavor. Mm-hmm. Right. right. One more thing what, I like about... Oh, go, go sorry, ahead, one more thing I really like is the size of the bottles you buy, especially when you buy new items like, you know, even soy sauce or whatever. It's nice that they're in smaller bottles. I think it's very important because, you know, at the beginning you don't have as many places to use it. Yep. So it's nice that you learn yep. through that and then you can buy the big one at Wajimaya and Whatever, and put well, that the in big your... one for me. I have food service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is, yes. You know, especially yeah. like things like sesame oil that goes bad fairly quickly. You know, you have to, you know, Use really yep. be conscientious of that. And I like the size of it. Yep. You know, it's usually in smaller sizes. So Right. And I think as, as non-Asian, you know, if you're not generally doing Asian cooking or if you're using those Asian ingredients to add to your more Western-style cooking in order to boost the flavor or boost the... Um, taste, you're not going to be using them all the time. Right. So you do want the smaller flavors. I mean, the smaller bottles. Unless you're like me, you make a dressing out of everything, and it's always a great safety when I see there's only this much soy sauce left. I put a little Dijon mustard in it, some toasted sesame oil, make a great dressing, put that in the fridge, and for the next two weeks, I see yep. that tag soy dressing. I'm like, okay, use that. You know, and you cook a piece of fish, you put that right on top, it's done. Yep. You don't have to worry about that. Exactly. So we're talking with Eliza Ward uh, from Chef Shop, that cute little yellow building. It's right next to Holy Mountain Brewery and 206 Distillery. And there's a, like a consignment furniture shop on the other side. It's halfway point between downtown and Ballard. A lot of people get freaked out there because they don't know they can park until 3 o'clock right in front of your store. You can. Plus, there's a parking lot next to Champions Party Supply that is a shared parking lot amongst right. all our buildings, so you can park there as it's well. It's a busy little intersection, and I think it... it yeah, it is. It is a busy area. Anyway, I love, I love stopping in there. Uh, you've brought a guest with you today, Eliza. I did. Um, when we started talking about upgrading our pantry, it naturally turned towards Japanese ingredients, and so I asked my... Uh, friend Greg, the owner of Japanese Pantry down in the Bay Area, and one of my key suppliers to come up and talk a little bit about both some key ingredients that we all have in our pantry and what it means to upgrade those, as well as more unusual Japanese ingredients that would be easy to add to your pantry and easy to use to then, you know, lift your cooking. All right, Greg, you're on. Okay. Well, I have to share okay. that mic. I'm, so, I'm sorry. We're, <laughs> we're not a Martha Stewart around here. We don't have like eight cameras and 
We do, but we don't tell anybody. <laughs> uh, we have about a minute uh, to kind of introduce yourself, and then when we come back, we're going to do a little tasting. So I, I'm Greg Dunmore of the Japanese Pantry, and uh, I've been a chef for uh, 25 years at a restaurant in San Francisco. I got a Michelin star, um, but I got really into Japanese food products and when I would or Japanese cuisine when I would go back to the States and come back from Japan, I was like, why can't I get good stuff here? So I uh, ended up... Um, opening this company about seven years ago and my business partner and I were trying to come up with the, the name for our company and we we're trying to like Washoko this and I was like we're just trying to build a Japanese pantry and he's like bam that's it that's it Nailed Japanese it. pantry and uh, so we have an online retail shop and then we also do um, a wholesale to uh, chefs across the country of distributors and all next to the woods Eliza's um, our Seattle distributor um, but really what we're trying to do is everyone in a chef's kitchen or a home kitchen has a bottle of soy sauce and a bottle of rice vinegar and sesame oil. We're just trying to show them to elevate that to the next right. level. That's a Awesome. Well, we're going to elevate ourselves to that next level. Pam and, and uh, Terry are. I have to take a quick break, but uh, in our next segment, we're going to do a little tasting, our own little tasting panel on inexpensive soy sauce, expensive soy sauce, delicious and not delicious soy sauce. Is it worth I mean, it? It's, it's <laughs> both. You've got to answer both of those questions. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Back in the kitchen of the Hostel Society at the Hotel Andra on 4th and Virginia, downtown Seattle. I'm Thierry Rotiro, the chef in the hat, and uh, Tom, I think, went and got lost in the kitchen somewhere. So I will take over and just keep going. Keep going. Greg, please reannounce yourself. Hi, I'm Greg uh, from the Japanese Pantry. Uh, we are um, a high-end Japanese artisanal uh, importer. I'm here well, you, you seem to have a very high-quality... Um, product right in front of you because I just you pulled us a little sample of what we were going to try and I'm already in always just two items so can't wait to hear all about it how did the whole I mean you love Japanese food obviously and did you go to Japan I've been in Japan often yes uh, you know as a chef you kind of look for what you're going to your cuisine you want to kind of cook um, and it wasn't until I went to Japan and I realized that that's what I wanted to cook and like that's like was my passion Japanese food um, for so long it was Italian, but then I was like, I just was blown away by the flavors, the, the textures, everything about Japanese food, the way it looked, the aesthetics. And the culture is also very oh. highly focused on that. Oh, it's huge. It seems crazy. I mean, you can't uh, get a bad meal in Japan. It's really yeah. true. It's, it's, it's hard. And uh, so what was the first thing that really blew you away when you went to Japan? Because I'm always curious about it. When I, uh, I have experience like this going to, for example, Morocco. We were just talking about Morocco. And when you went to Japan, what was the first thing that you went... The oh very God. first thing, truth, truthfully. So we were going as a, to celebrate uh, Osaka and San Francisco were sister cities, and they invited five chefs. Uh-huh. And I was one of the chefs. And my other chef friend was already there. So we got to the hotel, and, he, and we were like, oh, we're hungry. He's like, go to this chicken restaurant. He's like, it's a left, it's a left, and it's a right, and it's on the left. And I was like, okay. So we had just gotten off the plane to the hotel, and we're walking. And I'm so glad he gave us the directions, the left, left, right, and whatever. Because everything was in characters, and I just couldn't read right. anything. But 
we're like, is this it? And there was three cute Japanese girls, and they go, chicken, chicken, chicken. We're like, this has got to be it. So we walked in, and then well, we... Well, yeah, I mean, three girls telling you chicken, chicken, chicken. <laughs> you got to come in. I can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so we got the menu, and it was all in characters. And I was like, what do we do? So we did that. Oh, we'll take that. We'll take that. The first thing we got was a whole chicken sashimi. So. Whoa. What? It was amazing. I went back to that restaurant five years later, and they had an English menu, and there wasn't that chicken sashimi on there. I had to ask for it in Japanese to get it. <laughs> and they had to ask me, are you sure? <laughs> wow. But it was amazing. I had always heard about journey. it. And that started my journey, and I was like, from there, I was like, I trust everything Japanese. And that's a lot of trust yeah. when you eat a raw chicken. Yeah. That's good. I had read about that, so it wasn't, yeah. I wasn't scared. And no, it was no, awesome. of course. Yeah. You have to try it no matter what you're there. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to try it. But So was it... Just the raw chicken that was so attractive, or was it the actual the condiments and everything that was with it? Or oh, the yeah, the condiments because everything was different. Like the the, um, the gizzard and the liver were paired with like a salted sesame oil, and then the uh, thigh was with like a soy ginger, right. and then the breast was with like just a, a plain soy sauce and wasabi. So it was all very different and wow. unique. And so it's like, wow, they really thought See, about I this. I have so. not that yet. You. I need to have that. Dig in on the soy right yeah. now so okay. we don't okay. miss it because it's such a complicated and big story when you get outside of what we eat here in America. Sure, sure. So in America, we're used to uh, a certain brand of soy sauce. It's kind of in every pantry that we see. Um, and like I had mentioned in my previous segment is we're there to elevate. Our company is there to elevate that pantry, show you that there is a really good show you or soy sauce out there. Um, so we have in this small bottle um, is Horikawai Nomura Mitsuboshi. This, this soy sauce brewer is over 300 years old, and they've just been making four misos and one soy sauce that whole time. They've never upgraded the production methods, um, meaning like now a lot of producers will cook their soybeans in um, like a propane vat. They do everything over a wood fire. And, nice. Uh, yeah, so you get a slight smoke to this one, um, but tons of umami. Um, very unique. It's probably my favorite soy sauce. It's, it's not cheap, but it is like, it's for well, the, the gourmet. Again, we t- when we were talking about the citrus, we were talking about finishing and everything. I think it's the same thing with this. You, you eat it, and, or you taste it, you swallow it, and then you go, wow, that's an interesting finish because it stays there. It's not obnoxious like just salt. It's not, you know, like what you use with your typical inexpensive soy sauce. Yeah. Exactly. It's very different. It's very... Exactly. The texture. Why, why is... We, in the studio, we poured it next to Kikamon, even though Greg didn't want us to uh, ruin people's palates. But you can see uh, by the way it looks and the texture of yours. Right. It's, it's a completely different food. Oh, 100%. I it's mean, 100%. It, yeah, it's richer. It's smoother. It's not as harsh. You get a lot more flavor. It is more expensive, but you're going to use a lot less of it. Kikoman's industrial. Um, this soy sauce in particular is an industrial. This is a family-made, you know, 300 years old. Been doing that for the same way. So you get this handcrafted right. flavor. Really, it's, I mean, it's really as complex as something like balsamic vinegar, or you right. know, it really is. It's yeah, I mean, it's no different than anything that's crafted versus factory-made. I mean, it's, yep. it's just what it is. Factory-made has to give something has to give to be able to be factory-made. You can't make this in Factory, no. yeah, because there is two guys on the wood fire over a cauldron, whatever. You know, it's like you can't make that happen in the factory. It's never going to happen. No. Yeah. So you 100%. must have uh, different styles of soy sauce at home when you're cooking, or, or do you rely on only one? Oh no, no, 100. There's there's five varieties of soy sauce in Japan. There's white, light, dark, 
double brewed, and then tamari. And they're actually different varieties, and they're all you regional. Give us a quick primer on that. White soy sauce is the flip of dark. So soy, like white soy sauce is mostly wheat with a little bit of soybeans. Mm-hmm. And that's the flip of dark soy sauce. So white soy sauce is used for, uh, in certain regions like the Kansai and Tok- uh, Kyoto, is very, it's very prevalent there because they don't want to darken their foods at all. So their, their broths are very clear. Um, so that's kind of where it's used there. Um, and then you have a light soy sauce, which is basically same thing. It's more wheat than it is, well, it's probably half and half wheat and soybeans is the, um, the makeup, but that's used for cooking. It's really salty, but like you add a little bit to a broth, it's definitely not going to color it. Now then you have dark soy sauce, and dark soy sauce is very prevalent up in the Tokyo area, so a lot of the broths in Tokyo are going to be a lot darker than they are in like Osaka or Kyoto. Um, and then a double brood is basically um, soy sauce made with the five ingredients, which is soybeans, wheat, koji, water, and salt. And then they go make a new batch of new um, soybeans, koji, and salt. I'm sorry, uh, wheat, and then they omit the water and salt, and just add the soy sauce they made from before. So it's like, and that's really used for like sashimi and uh, putting it. It actually makes a great ice cream too. And then you have tamari. So tamari is not doesn't mean gluten free in Japan. Tamari means something of a pressing. So in traditional tamari, we have we sell a tamari that's three years old, and so they they age the soy mash in these these cedar vats for three years, and they put river rocks on top. After three years, the rocks are removed. The solid is a hacho miso, and then the liquid is tamari. So something you get from pressing. Super intense, oh. super yeah. dense. Yeah, so. I like tamari a lot. It's a, it's a good. You have to use it very lightly, obviously, and can eat it by the spoon. But it's a gorgeous. I think it's a gorgeous product. It's beautiful. We have a beautiful. He has a beautiful. Yeah, I would I think, think I would so think you thick. would. Yeah, tamari. It's, like, it's it almost our tamari tastes like a. It doesn't taste like red wine, but it's like when you taste it, taste it like you would be a red wine. Let it sit in your palate, and it's yeah. just going to change. Like at first, it's got a nice kind of umami, almost fishiness, and then it changes right. to a resonated flavor. It's like, it's really If you make stellar. a beef tartare, instead of anchovy, I use tamari. Oh, yeah. Delicious. So you've got to be really careful understanding the American-labeled ones versus the Japanese ones. You're going to get a completely different product. 100%. So I think this is like, I, I see Japanese food where I saw Italian food 20 years ago. Because I know that when I was a chef of a restaurant, I had this, this guy came in and tasted me on like six different olive oils that were amazing. I was like, I, I cannot go back to using bad olive oil. And I feel like that's happening with Japanese food. We're getting like, everyone's becoming more knowledgeable about that. So when we come back, Greg, we're going to talk about sesame seed and toasted sesame oil because I'm so impressed by that product you just brought us here today. So... Stick around and we're going to have more testing going on. Stay with us on Cairo 97.3 FM. in the kitchen at the Hot Stuff Society radio show in the Hotel Road, corner of 4th and Virginia, downtown, beautiful Seattle, Washington. And dreaming of trips to Japan. Dreaming dream of Kyoto, to Tokyo, Osaka. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to go to Komimoto twice. That was very nice. Um, 
Or, uh, Greg Dunsmore. Dunmore is our guest, and he has the Japanese pantry. And uh, you can purchase, by the way, all these. Everything we're talking about today is available at Chef Shop. If you don't know Chef Shop, Google it up. It's everywhere. <laughs> and if you, have, if you have a chance to be on 15 Northwest in downtown Seattle, yeah, stop. go visit. Stop by. You'll have the best testing you've ever had in your life, and you won't be drunk on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Greg, let's get back to you. And we talked about soy sauce, you know, the five different types available in Japan. And now let's, let's get into the other side than I looked. It's the oil, and especially the toasted sesame oil. You have a, an oil you pour here, and I just tried it. This is probably the most delicate toasted sesame oil I've had in my life. It is gorgeous. And it reminds me, I was telling you, very reminiscing of the lightness and the, and the beauty of, um, like, argon oil, you know, from Morocco and all that. Absolutely beautiful product. Do, do tell about it. Sure. Um, this is from uh, a producer called Wadaman out of Osaka. They're about 150 years old. Um, they are known as, like, the best sesame producer in Japan. Before I start, there is, just to make this straight, there's three different varieties of sesame seeds in the world. There's white, golden, and black. They're not different roasts. They're actual varieties. Um, so the white comes from Ethiopia. Um, the golden is Turkey, and the black is Bolivia. And what we have is the golden oil. Um, and these oils are really what got me to think about import, making a company to import, the Japanese pantry, because I was invited to go to this, this uh, producer, and I was just taken back in this small room, and they were making these oils by hand, and I was like, I had never, and I had tasted all three side by side. And like I had mentioned before about the olive oils, that like, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never... And so the, this is a special oil because this is roasted just above medium roast. So you're going to get a little bit of roast, but you get the characteristics of the seed itself, where a lot of the stuff that we see in the States here is unroasted or I, I feel like overly roasted. Yeah, kind it's of, over, I would say yeah. over-roasted is... Yeah, you, you're right. They're unroasted or over-roasted. Yeah, so because the only like, test is the, is the roast as opposed to the sesame. It's like so mono, so monotone right. in, in flavor. Um, so yeah, this is a very delicate, um, this is like one of our number one sellers is the golden. Um, I do, we have a dark golden too. I recommend the dark golden. I recommend having both in your pantry because I like to have that dichotomy of flavors. Um, and it's really unique. Um, we also have the, the sesame seeds. There are black sesame seeds and these have been brined in sea salt and then roasted. So they're salty black sesame seeds. And these are just a fun thing to put on a salad, um, you know, on top of a crudo or something. Or uh, we had chefs that we sold to in the Bay Area that liked them so much they would buy kilos for the kitchen and just have them as snacks. Yeah. And someone was like, you should get them and make them like for the ballpark so people can eat them like <laughs> sunflower seeds, you know, because like, they're a really good snack. They're so, so good. Yeah, yeah I mean, this is, this is definitely a great topping to anything because it's very easy to eat. And um, I could see having a little bag of it watching the ball game and, you know, just be eating them. But... It's too bad sesame seeds are not bigger because that would be a lot easier to eat. (laughs) They don't get stuck in your teeth. (laughs) No, this is delicious product. I mean, kudos to you for finding all this different goodness. And uh, so if one wants to purchase such items... We go to Chef Shop? Yeah. Elisa? We carry, we, we've been working with Japanese Pantry for many years, and we carry pretty much every product they have or can get it. You had one more you were going to tell us about. Oh, so, you know, when we talk about upgrading the pantry, you know, umami is a big topic. Fifth taste, the fifth taste umami really kind of is an unctuousness and a thing like, like the way taste performs in our kitchen to lift flavor. Umami also lifts flavor. And there's a lot of things in Japanese food that have umami or have balanced taste. 
Um, but Greg brings in this shirodashi, which kind of combines a lot of those ingredients together. So it's got the mirin, it's got the uh, kombu, it's got the katsuboshi or the bonito, and it's all in there for you. So it is it is what I've discovered with the chefs that I work with. They make a lot of their own shirodashi, but right. here it's and they get all the different ingredients and make it themselves. But here it's all made for you. So it's a great is it ingredient. A form no, or? it's a liquid form. Greg can tell you a little bit more about it and show it to you. This is a two-parter. Um, we have this is Nito Jozo. This is their white their white soy sauce or white tamari they call it. Um, it's 100% wheat. And so the base of the shiro dashi is is this this condiment, right? Um, and then this, like as she said, as mirin, kombu, katsubushi added to it. Um, this is a really interesting product because this is a Japanese, um, like someone at home, like a home cook in Japan. This is like their their cheap thing to make, like because it has dashi in it, soy. It's, it's a condiment. Um, but we found when we started our, the Japanese pantry that all these chefs were asking for it and they use it. So they've been like they've been like Japanese home cooks this whole time using it in like tartars or dressings or something right. like that. And it's just really adding different layers of flavor and. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I, I find myself reaching at home for these two things all the time. I'm like, what's this missing? Oh, a little bit of this, oh, a little bit of that. Like, and it's just, it's, it's endless. Like, you know, my, my wife is getting mad at me sometimes because I would be like, she'd be making a soup or something. I'd come in and be like, Oop. what'd you do? What'd you do? And, the, and now she's like, now she just grabs it herself and puts it in there. Yeah, I think like, oh. it's one thing that most home cooks don't have is that ability to open the fridge and take that bottle and make their dish from ordinary to extraordinary. Yep. You know, you just take that step and you go, bingo, my soup now tastes like something beautiful, as opposed to, ah, it's kind of blah, missing something. You know, you got all these veggies, maybe some sausage or whatever, you, and you're like these beans, and you're making this Italian soup, but it doesn't have the depth yet, and you're like, poof, a little dash of that, and bingo. Yeah, it's like it's a ma- done. Yeah. It's like a magic secret ingredient. Yeah, and I, I think it's very... So you owe it to yourself to go to chef shop, and have Elisa give you a lesson and testing, more importantly, and educate yourself about how to discover just a little dash of flavor of, you know, to add to your food. For many different circumstances, it could be oil on your finishing steamed fish, or it could be in a salad. It could be your soy in your tartar or into your, uh, you know, appetizer you're making, or sauteed mushroom. Finish with a little dashi. Yep, and I think I think a lot of us have this experience where we're making something like a gravy, and we're it, it's like you have all that unctuousness, and you have the salt, and there's something missing, and you can't figure out what it was right. or what it is. And often something like the shiro dashi makes all the difference in the world because you're adding those all those elements of taste at the same time, and it just heightens the entire. All dish. this beautiful squash soup right now that people are making because I, mean, I have a few quarts of butternut squash in my in my freezer. And, you know, you just warm up that soup and you put a little bit of that toasted sesame on top, the salted sesame and the oil. Oh, Delicious. You take that to a different level. Oh, yeah. Could you just say the components of that again? That it, the shirodashi. Uh, the, the shiro yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a base of white soy sauce. Um, and then it uh, is, has katsubushi, kombu, mirin, and I believe dried shiitakes as well. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I bet oh, you get a good mirin too. Like, yeah, we have a good mirin. I love mirin. Oh. <laughs> we have a good mirin. It's always a good one to finish something. Like and I, you... I did get into your website um, much. Are there producer stories? 100%, yes. So we should educate ourselves a little bit before we go to Chef Shop about... Definitely. Look, look at the producers, read about them. It's fascinating because they've been doing... Like I said, the, the soy sauce we tasted earlier is 300 years old. 
And that's just a story in itself right there. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's older I, than the country, our country, so. <laughs> yeah. It's the Japanese, uh, JapanesePentry.com, I take it? Yes. <laughs> that's good. Oh, ChefShop.com. ChefShop.com. <laughs> Please, go, go, and, uh, go and, and, and discover. I think it's very yeah, important. Just do your research on their site and then come by from me. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and you're our, not a chef uh, cooking in a restaurant anymore? No. This Japanese pantry is your full-time? Full-time, yeah. And I do, I do cooking shows, uh, cooking classes in San Francisco as well. Nice. Well, congratulations and thank, thank you. you for showing some beautiful product. I'm sure people are going to be enthused to try those. I know I am. Thank you for coming, Obul. Thank you. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you. Good to see you. All right, coming up next is our famous Tasty Trivia. Let's see who's going to win. And one, more importantly, what is the topic today, Pam? Oh, it's, uh, it's widely varied. Widely varied. So that means... Uh, <clears throat> Anybody could win. We're going to get shot in the dark. <laughs> All right, stay with us on 97.3 FM. Tyro. Society on the Hostel Society radio show. My name is Thierry Rotero, the chef in the hat, and uh, Tom took a little hiatus for a few minutes. So we're going to keep playing without him. This is the time of the show where we do our favorite, favorite part of the show, I guess. The most really? fun. The most fun, I think. It's the most terrifying to me. Well, it is terrifying. You should be sitting in my seat to call it terrifying. <laughs> you know, Pam, tell us how it works, the trivia. Well, uh, Rub with Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia is a series where each of the three components gets uh, five questions, and then someone gets the most right, and they're the winner, and then we have a loser. So we're glad Eliza and Greg are sticking around to play with us today, and we have to do our little commercial for Rub with Love, um, uh, which is our own small batch collection of versatile rubs, sauces, and mustards that bring extra layers of flavor to any meal. Uh, You can find Rub with Love all around Seattle in grocery stores like the Thriftway in West Seattle, Vashon, Ballinger, or Bayview. In Island County, visit our friends at Payless in Freelard or the Camino IGA. And for all the deliciousness, you can also stop at Series Pie Ballard or right here at the Hot Stove Society. And don't forget, online at TomDouglas.com. Oh, uh, yeah. Anywhere around the planet. All right. Terry Rotro likes to kick us off. Yes. He's I'll show the them how it's done. He'll show them how Maybe it's done. Maybe not the right way, but I'll show you. Uh, question number one is multiple choice. What is the family of health-benefiting plant compounds that give dark vegetables their distinct colored call? Is it the phytochemicals, the proto-nutrients, or the free radicals? I'm going to go with the proto. 
It would be the phytochemicals. They oh, well, that was close. It's the other one. You were, you were the, it's one of the P ones. It's one of the P ones. Yeah, I knew it wasn't the last one. I knew it was either proto for photo. Number two. I am into you. Also, multiple choice. Which one of these drinks has the most calories? 12 ounces of beer, 12 ounces of cola, or 5 ounces of red wine? Definitely 12 ounces of cola. It's the beer. Beer comes in first at 153 I tried to be convincing, but it didn't work. 12 ounces of cola comes in second at 136, and 5 ounces of wine typically has 123. Go for the wine. Go for the wine. I don't know. Number three, what region in France is Neufatel cheese from? Neuchâtel. Thank you. (laughs) I'm like, Neufatel? Yes, Neuchâtel. What region is it from? Uh, I don't know. The uh, center of France, I would say La Beauce, as in Normandy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, no, Beauce. That's not Normandy. No, Beauce is south of France. Normandy, beautiful. Okay. I go with that. Number four. But, <laughs> true or false? So far, in case you haven't noticed, it's you really easy. <laughs> you score nothing. True or false? Quinoa contains all eight essential amino acids. Yes, it does. It Absolutely. Sure is true. That I know. Yes, quinoa is uh, good for you. What country in South America grows more oranges than any other country? Brazil. Brazil. <laughs> Two out of five. Yay. Eliza? Uh-oh. This is super goofy. Name and Which, phone number of all the people who have bought from Chef Shop in the past. Uh, this is multiple I could, choice. I could probably Which of them. these groups believe humans can live solely on a life force called prana? Is it the Freegans? The Breatharians or the Rastafarians? <laughs> I'm going to go with the Rastafarians. <laughs> it is the Breatharians. They believe that the nutrients required to sustain human life can be found through breathing alone. Mm. Which uh, Also multiple choice. Which of these foods offers more protein per 100 grams? Ground chuck, chicken breast, or caterpillars? Caterpillars. Exactly. Yeah. I would have guessed that. Uh, Good ha- idea. No, thank you. Caterpillars <laughs> have about 28 grams of protein per 100. Ground chuck, about 24. And chicken breast, about 23. Number three, what is the name of the hearty soup made of tripe, caspi, and hominy popular in Mexico that is touted as a hangover cure? Um, I have no idea. <laughs> Mano a Mano? Anybody want a lifeline? No, it's menudo. 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 Uh, true or false, the herb caraway is part of the parsley family. True. It is true. You're rocking this. And then, uh, true or false, oranges are technically a berry. I don't think so. Terry says no. I say no. I it's, say it's actually a flower of some it's kind. It's true. They're what? special berries known as... Hesperidiums, and they develop from one flower with one ovary. She got two and a half, just like me. I think she's going to give easy ones to Greg. I have this feeling. (laughs) Um, We'll start with multiple choice. Which of these is likelier to kill you? French fries, a car accident, or cancer? <laughs> what, wow. a mor- what a morbid question! What is like all of the above? I mean, oh, none of the above. I mean, I'm gonna go with French fries. Just because, absolutely yeah. true. <laughs> Thanks to the average eight grams of trans fat per serving found in most French fries. 
The risk of death from heart disease from consuming French fries is higher than the death rate from cancer and car accidents. This one is also multiple choice. Energy is transferred from the food we eat to our bodies through what? Calories, amino acids, or lipids? Calories. Absolutely correct. How many gallons of water do you think it takes to grow one orange? Is there choices or I guess? <laughs> Just take it. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you choices. Uh, for one orange, would it be five gallons, 13 gallons, or 45 gallons? 13. Correct. Oh. Number four. He's what? killing us. He's, killing <laughs> He's already beat us. I haven't even had fries yet either. Well, she, she tipped her hand with those What choices. is the name of the process when an emulsion is created by reducing all the particles to the same size? A hint would be as in milk. Pasteurization? No. Oh, no. Homogenization. Yes. Homogenization. Are you going to share your point with Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Half Terry a point. gets a point. I'm not three. Ooh. Yeah, I think Terry wins. No, and no, so finally, what is the name of the very pretty Scandinavian cookies formed into fanciful shapes by being pushed through a cookie press? I don't know that. <laughs> Spritz. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't have. When I come from, it's a grandma. drink. No, I don't. <laughs> spritz. The major spritz of the holidays. Pam, spritz is a drink. Where I come from, cookie uh, and a drink. It's, it's how a, did we do? Who's the I, winner I think today, Greg Jerry? still win at three and a half points. Uh, I'm behind at three, and, and Elisa is telling with two and a half. Thank so, you uh, for playing today, Greg. Your reward is we have a shop here, so your reward is to walk through that shop and pick three. Cans of rub with love oh, of your choice. Oh, take that. Oh, wow. Thank you. Yeah. So you can try Thank that. Thank you very much. If you want to be part of the show, but you can come to the studio, you can join the community on YouTube live, as our friend did this morning, during the taping on the Tom Douglas and Company channel. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of a Hot Stove Society show on Cairo 97.3, you can listen via your podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite Ah, thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. Yay, thank you.